I'm Jonathan Goldstein, host of Wiretap. Each week you're invited to listen in on my telephone conversations, whether funny, sad, wistful, or even slightly strange. You never know just what you might hear on Wiretap. Uh, I mean, I knew you had a show. I just, I just didn't think that people actually listened to it. Howard, That's you... the breath of your genius, Jonathan. It's not just that you're funny, but you can be cripplingly, poignantly depressing. The Wiretap Archives, available on CBC Listen, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Two funerals and a wedding. That's not a movie sequel. That's how many times the cousins Mariko and Jillian Tamaki say their paths crossed when they were growing up. Then one day, they met back up as adults, started collaborating at books that started winning awards. They'll tell you about their new graphic novel and how growing up in a creative household primed them for the lives they have now, even though a lot of people in their homes were... uh, tax accountants. I'm Tom Power. You're listening to Q. Do you remember the first time you traveled with your friends and not your parents? It was such an exciting feeling, this feeling of like a new place, all these new experiences awaiting you. You can kind of do whatever you wanted to. The desperation to see everything and do everything and eat everything and drink everything. Jillian Tamaki and Mariko Tamaki have a new book, and it's kind of about that. It's called Roaming. It's about three uh, first-year university students who traveled from Canada to New York for a bit of a bit of a trip in 2009. So Jillian and Mariko Tamaki, if you don't know them, um, they've released two other graphic novels together. They're cousins. Uh, Mariko is a writer originally from Ontario, and in addition to doing that work with her cousins, she writes for DC and Marvel. Jillian is from Alberta. She's a cartoonist and illustrator. She's had big hits like Boundless and Super Mutant Magic Academy. But together, when they uh, combine forces, they've won the Governor General's Award, the Caldecott Honor. I got to talk to Jillian and Mariko last week, and I wanted to start by asking Jillian about why they wanted to write about a trip that doesn't go quite as planned and like what was interesting to them about a young person in New York. Take a listen to this. I was just reflecting, I guess, on that time. I first I went to Queens University for my first year and uh, I really thought I had been dropped on the moon, like, <laughs> especially Frosh Week. I just I didn't understand how any of this was possible. Any of this was legal. <laughs> I met all these people that had um, were from all over the country and I really kind of had my brain blown open with new paradigms, new experiences, new uh, possibilities. And I just wanted to capture that idea of that time in your life that is just you're expanding, your your brain is expanding, and your experiences are expanding so rapidly. And it really felt like centering that on a trip where you're really flung out of your comfort zone into the big wide world. Uh, felt like a great metaphor for that. Marika, was that was this kind of your experience as well? Like these 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 sort of like wild, uh, mind expanding, both kind of experiences in university, but also kind of going on trips around that time. Yeah, I mean, I think it is. It's like you're you're flung into this new social circle, and I think that part of what the book is about too is that you suddenly have this possibility of like reinventing yourself, right? Like, you know, I went from uh, you know high school in Toronto to McGill University, so I knew a lot of people there, but there were new people who didn't know that I was like, you know, no friends, Mariko. I could be like new cool goth Mariko if I wanted, and I think that idea of like being able to present yourself as a new person and the kind of like stress test that new person goes through your first year of university is also kind of fascinating. Like, 
even what it means to make a new friend and you're like, oh, this person is like a mysterious, cool, city-wise person. And then like two months later, you're like, no, they're afraid of everything <laughs> and they're always getting food poisoning. You know what I mean? Like it evolves so quickly and in such a short period of time, which I think we're sort of, you know, sort of doing a, a version of like these five days in New York. It's kind of like a writ large of what your first year of your university is even like. I When I was doing research for this, Jillian, I, I read something that when you were illustrating it, you felt this like pressure because New York is such a sort of an iconic place and how it looks. And also you had to try to remember what it looked like a little bit. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah. I mean, I lived there from 2005 to 2015. So 2009 is right in the sweet spot of my New York, you know, that I remember. And uh, with my our previous books, I had done sort of field research. Uh, for this one, I was going to do the same and then COVID hit. And so I really couldn't do that. You know, every single corner of that city has been you, you uploaded to YouTube, Flickr, uh, Instagram, Google Images. So it wasn't, um, it was a matter of processing that in a way that felt emotional and truthful. Because again, as an ex-New Yorker, I knew that any little detail that I got wrong, whether it's like the tr- that train didn't run on that track on that time, and those are not the the mosaics at that train station, somebody would notice. So I had to get those details right. Mariko, I mean, as I mentioned in the introduction, you've written uh, for uh, DC and for Marvel and, and you know, pretty big um, kind of iconic publications. What was it like returning to characters that you were able to build from the ground up? I do think that there is such a special place uh, in my heart for like the stuff that I do with Jillian. I feel like it's a process that we've really honed over decades now, which is so weird to say. (laughs) And I, yeah, I think like the first time we did it, we sort of established this language that we liked of, of how these characters would move around in the world. And I think it's not even really the characters themselves. That's interesting to me, but it's like, the way these characters move through the world, like it is so site specific. It's so time specific, the things that we do. It is so much about us observing these characters together and like building, building drama and building all these like complications together. Like I just, I love that process. We'll be right back. Arts Educators Save the World, we talk with artists and their mentors to discuss the transformative work that happens in arts education. We began with Lin-Manuel Miranda and his elementary school music teacher, and mine, Barbara Ames. The direct education we got from Barbara, it was life-changing. And since then, we've spoken with Cecily Strong, Josh Radner, Annalie Ashford, Robert Lopez, and so many others, each with their mentors. Join us again as we begin season two of Arts Educators Save the World, available everywhere. I'm speaking with Canadian creators Mariko Tamaki and Jillian Tamaki about their uh, collaborations. So uh, collaborations and your your cousins as well. Um, and Jillian, your sister Lauren is also an artist. She's an illustrator and designer. You guys are first cousins. What's going on in the Tamaki household? I don't know. My sister is so <laughs> talented, Lauren Tamaki. You know what's funny is like all of our family are like 
tax accountants and lawyers. I was because my, my they're all tax people. My follow up question is like, is there a black sheep like <laughs> rugby player or accountant like? It, I think, but you know what they they're like the funniest people. Yes. Ever like my dad is the most charismatic, dry, funny accountant you'll ever meet <laughs> and like there are really like they he's an amazing writer but he just doesn't do it but like i remember we had a jack russell terrier and the, when the dog died at like 16 he sent out like an obituary of this dog that we had written and it was so funny and so you know it's in there somewhere and it's just a great reminder that people can be immensely creative and it doesn't necessarily mean that that's their profession. Uh, of of course. Uh, um, and Marika, did it feel like you were coming, though, from a particularly, like, creative family? I mean, I... It is remarkable, right? It's, it's, not, it's, it's, yeah. it's remarkable for it to be, like, siblings, for sure, but for, like, cousins, for, like, a wider family to be also yes. creative, you know? Well, and also that we spent no time together, right? Like, because Jillian was in Calgary and I was in Toronto. So, like, I think it was, like two funerals and a wedding was like the extent of our hanging out when we were kids. <laughs> and then eventually when uh, Jillian was at Queens, we sort of hung out a tiny bit, but not that much. And then yeah, I, I think just, that, I just yeah. heard of Mariko of, as you're a little older than me and you, so you were kind of starting to do things as I was still younger and just doing all this cool stuff and getting tattooed and being on, <laughs> being part of like um, performance art, groups and you were getting some like uh you're on the news i remember being interviewed right. about all this like cool art stuff you're doing and it was just like oh my gosh my cousin's an artist and you were really <laughs> the first artist in our family uh and that was really foreign to me and i thought that that was really amazing and so i don't know maybe that's even encouraged me to follow a creative route too because it's very scary choosing to go uh, and try to be an artist as a, as a teenager. And that is, I found it very intimidating. Yeah. I think also like we have a family of just like, you know, like bemused support. It was like, nobody was like pushing like, Oh, you should be a lawyer. So then the consequence of that is that as a young person, you're like, maybe I'm going to be a writer. Yeah. <laughs> Since nobody's giving me any real direction. I'm, my, I'm, my dad just said, I don't care what you do. Just don't ask me for money. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's a solid tattoo there. Uh, so yeah. I'm, I'm starting to understand the dynamic here. So like Jillian, the, the wide-eyed queen student, like just blown away by everybody around here. Mariko, the badass cousin who was on the news and getting <laughs> getting tattoos. So, so in 2008, you uh, released your first project together. It's called Skim, and you've been uh, collaborating uh, on and off now for a while. Mariko, when you first did start working together as cousins who had only met I love what you said they're like two funerals and a wedding and that's when we had sort of the only time we'd spent together did you recognize is there something that you only get from working with one another I do think it's and it's so hard to explain it's like we're just both very tamaki about things like we just have this way of working together I think also it's not like any of either of us have ever felt like the burden of like, we have to work together now, or this like has to work. And I think having that sort of freedom of like, this would be really great. Like from the first project we did, it was very much like, maybe this will be great, you know, and it was always possible that it could have been horrible and that we never would have done anything else. But I think we both have a little bit of like chill maybe around this stuff that it's like, it's both very important to us and we both take the work ethic of being an artist very seriously. And at the same time, it's about 
the sort of like the ability of making it about the work and not putting any larger meaning on it. We also learned how to make comics together because, That's true. <laughs> you know, our first opportunity came to us through a small literary feminist zine published out of Toronto, Kiss Machine. And it was explicitly pairing artists and writers that had never made comics before. And we were both starting out at that time. So I had no idea what we were doing. I don't think you really had any idea what you were doing in terms of writing a comic. And that is our first foray. I didn't really know any better how it was done. And so I think that we learned together. And I know I have been very shaped by working with you and uh, working off of your scripts has shaped the way that I've worked even when I do stuff on my own. I want to go back to what you were saying just a second there, um, Mariko. Like you said that, we were always able to approach it from a sense of like fun and creativity and art and we didn't feel this like intense pressure on us. And and so Jillian, that's that's worth mentioning because your young adult graphic novel This One Summer, which is a coming of age story about two teenagers it's over the summer in Ontario's cottage country, gets, as I mentioned, the Caldecott honor, which is like one of the most prestigious recognition a, a, a young person's book can possibly achieve. So no, Jillian, no burden, no pressure. You don't you don't feel anything after after something like that. You know, it's actually a really good thing to talk about because making books, I guess, but also being any kind of creative is extremely psychological. You know, um, you have to really keep your mindset in a right in the right place. I guess like you get the yips or something. You know, C- comics for me, I always thought it was such a frivolous <laughs> personal art kind of thing that it would be always subsidized by my more, I guess, lucrative career stuff. Editorial illustration, teaching. <laughs> I worked in video games, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, for a while. Uh, all these other things that were sort of more stable than, you know, being an author or making comics or anything like that. That always seemed so pie in the sky and a luxury to do. So I always was prepared to have that reserved as my personal art (laughs) that didn't have to make money. And then therefore that gave me uh, the freedom to always choose the projects carefully, not try to make it my main source of making a living. And I think that that's been very beneficial for being able to keep those projects fresh and keep that mindset right. But Mariko, it wasn't just it wasn't just that you got that honor. I mean, people win the Caldecott and that's fine. You get in the you win the Caldecott and then like you become news. Like this 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 book that you you do together like makes the news in in Canada and the US because it gets it gets banned uh, in, in from some places. Let me just reiterate this for people. This one summer faced threats of censorship. It was the most challenged book of 2016 according to the American Library Association due to what they called at the time profanity, sexual references, and certain illustrations. So, I mean, I can, by the way, for those who can't see our Zoom call, a <laughs> lot of eye-rolling just happened. I think we almost lost the bandwidth. Mariko, what does that do to you? I mean, what Jillian was talking about, about awards, like, what does that do to you? I mean, I do think it's it's the context for publishing these days, especially publishing books for young readers, is that you know, books that are by BIPOC creators, books that are by LGBTQIA plus creators are challenged. And so I think I didn't see it as any comment on the book whatsoever. Like to me, it was very separate from the sort of like recognition of people who read books and value books to say like that your book is like a book of like a certain, you know, so that your book should get an award is great. 
And I think that the people who ban those books are not reading them. And so it really is like the it's like the antithesis of anything literary. It's just it's just political. Jillian, can I get you to elaborate on your eye roll there? <laughs> oh no, it's just funny because to me it's such a, a quiet book. Like, you know, it's like Oh my God, her hand brushed my hand is like a big narrative. Yeah, well, there, uh, there was nothing list. sexual in this book, really. Deadpool, you know? yes. And so to me, they're very quiet and they're very reflective books. And and then I remember that it that these are banned books. And then I and then it's just like, well, you know, the personal is political. <laughs> I used to think that it was because people wanted their teenagers to be wrapped in bubble wrap. Now I just sort of think that, you know, so many books get banned. They just shut the whole libraries down in some places that it doesn't really take that much to get banned these days. Um, I, I appreciate both of you talking to me a little bit about that. I want to close off on, on on this new book, or at least something related to this new book. Given that this book was written so much about your own experiences traveling together, about the experiences of like being young people and traveling and seeing the world and becoming different people, how has the experience of two of you at this stage of your lives traveling together, how, is, how has it been for this book? I think it's gone pretty good. I mean, I think the thing that's kind of... Like, you know, this is our third book and, you know, we've done all different kinds of tours. Like Jillian and I have spent a lot of time alone in bookstores with like the bookseller who's like, I'm sure people are coming. You know, I've had friends who tell me about that, like the experience of like just waiting for people to show up. Right. So it means a lot. I mean, it means a lot to have people come out and to see us and talk to us about these books and for people to come out having read like all of our books feels really amazing. And yeah, I'm really grateful. Like, I'm grateful because I haven't seen Jillian in a long time. Like, we have, even though we're in separate rooms now, we have spent this whole tour together. And it's been really interesting to be like, wow, this is like our third book. This is like, like this kind of flipping back and forth between the nostalgia of what we used to, like tours of past. And then this like present day, us exhausted in a Hilton elevator, like, I'll see you later. It's a lot easier to tour now than it was yes. when we started because, I don't know, you have cell phones that work yeah. and... <laughs> I mean, there were tours in Europe where some of our first things that we ever did that we just got lost. Like I just lost Rico in Amsterdam and like you, you're you're not going to turn on your phone because you don't know how your phone works and foreign countries. And, you know, you just can't text somebody. You just can't summon a, a cab on your phone or uh, a map to point you in the right direction. So some of those experiences definitely informed yeah. making the book as well. Jillian also almost became a citizen of Amsterdam because we lost her so for so long that I was like, maybe she just lives here now and we're all just going to go home. Like it was that bad. <laughs> I'm, I'm understanding where some of the references in this book came from. Uh, thanks to you both. I, I loved I loved reading the book and, and thanks for making the time for us today. Thank you. Thank you. My conversation with Jillian and Mariko Tamaki, their new novel is called Roaming. It's a graphic novel, and it's out now. That is it for the show today. The other conversation we put up today, um, I when we had Nicole Byer on, I had listened to Nicole Byer. She's a comedian. She hosts that show, uh, Nailed It, on Netflix. She's so funny. I had heard her on Conan O'Brien's podcast, and I was like, oh, I hope, I hope we get that. Like, I hope she just comes in and is funny and just we just have a chat. 
and that's what it turned into. Like, she's so funny and so engaging. I felt like I was riding a train by hanging on to the doors on the outside, just holding on for dear life while she steered the steered the ship. So that's a mixed metaphor. Anyway, my conversation with Nicole Byer, wherever you got this podcast. We'll see you soon. Later on. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.